Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, good day, good night. Uh, This is Chris, uh, tangentially speaking. This week's uh, guest is John Durant. He is the author of The Paleo Manifesto, uh, which is a book that came out about six months ago. I met him at the Paleo Conference in Austin last week. Uh, Quite an interesting conference, a lot of people talking about gluten and uh you know how much meat we eat and how we move and how we exercise and you know, all sorts of stuff about trying to look to our paleolithic past in order to understand what's going wrong in the present and how to design a better future which of course is something I'm thinking a lot about for the book I'm working on at the moment um, which is why I went down to this conference in Austin. I gave a presentation on uh, Paleolithic sexuality. You can imagine what that was like. Uh, what seemed to go over pretty well. It was it was actually a very interesting conference. I expected uh, a lot of the stuff about diet and exercise. Of course, everybody saw that coming. Um, but it was interesting to see that the movement seems to be spreading beyond those two core concerns. Um, and starting to look at things like sexuality, uh, like mm, the way that we organize our ancestors to organize themselves uh, politically, economically, family dynamic, things like that in in uh, pre-agricultural times. And um, I, I sat on two uh, panels in addition to my presentation. One was a panel on cultivating uh, – I forget what it was called, something like cultivating um, yeah, effective happy men or something like that. It's basically about uh, the role of men in society and how that's changed, how society's attitude toward men has changed, particularly in the United States in the last uh, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, that was interesting. John was on that panel with me and then I was on another panel about shamanism that was quite interesting. Um, talking about the use of uh, hallucinogens in uh, pre-agricultural societies and trance states, whether they're arrived at by way of uh, substances or dance or rhythm or, you know, drumming or uh, fasting or whatever it is. Basically, the, uh, the use of altered states of consciousness to affect healing, which is uh, something I'll be writing about in this book as well. Um, Anyhow, it was an interesting conference. It was the Paleo FX conference. If you Google Paleo FX, you'll see a list of the speakers and uh, stuff that happens. I guess it's a, an annual conference, so they'll be doing it again next year. Uh, my understanding is that this was the third, I think, that they had done. And um, and every year uh, it's getting bigger and bigger. So 
quite interesting. Uh, a lot's changing around here at the podcast. Uh, I don't know if you can hear. I'm I'm on a new mic. I'm in a new room. The the acoustics might sound a little different from usual. I've got a new recorder. Oh yeah, all about the upgrades. I am thinking about maybe trying to get into Skype. Uh, podcasting. Um, I'm meeting a lot of interesting people. The The audience for this podcast is growing. Uh, and it's to the point now where I can um, get some pretty major people um, interested in, in joining me on the podcast. But, you know, I just don't have time or money to cruise around the world, you know, fly to New York to interview somebody. So uh, if we can figure out a way to do it uh, remotely. I think I'm going to try that, even though I sort of resist it because I like sitting in a room with someone. You know, I like that dynamic, and and I think it comes across better on your end as well. That you know we're sitting there, you know, in the same space with each other. I think you can hear that, um, and I don't mean acoustically. I mean you can hear it in the way we interact. You know, uh, as opposed to people who are on a you know looking at each other in a computer or on the phone or whatever. But um, I am going to have to uh, find a way to to keep doing these podcasts and uh, with interesting folks without uh, putting as much time into it as I have up till now. I I need to focus on this book. Um, anyway, uh, Shore Design T-shirts brings you this podcast. They bring you all the podcasts, whether I mention them or not. I, I try to mention them, but I don't want to bore you to tears. But we just got a huge shipment of new shirts, so. I don't have the photos up online yet, but by the time you hear this, uh, unless you hear this like within 12 hours of me of me putting it up, but if if you're listening to this anytime after early, um, no, what is it? It's late April. <laughs> Sorry, man, I'm lost in time. If you're listening to this after late April of 2014, then the shirts will be on the website. I've got uh, civilized to death shirts we're really excited about with the sad the sad chimpanzee. We've got uh paleo modern shirts. Uh we've got women shirts. We've got new designs of women uh tank top shirts that are very sexy and cool and different colors and so we've really expanded that. I hope you'll check it out chrisryanphd.com. Click on store and you'll see what I'm talking about. Um what else? We're going to have a bunch of new sponsors. Uh, a listener by the name of Mandy, who I've been, I've become friends with over the last few months, uh, has uh, taken it upon herself to to uh, deal with sponsors. So she's rounding up a bunch of sponsors, figuring out how to how to line that up. Um, of course, the uh, assumption in all this is I won't talk about products I don't like, I don't use, I don't, uh, you know, I wouldn't recommend to friends. So we're not taking any sponsor, uh, but there are a lot of products I do like and I do use and I do recommend to friends. So uh, you'll be hearing some some different stuff, not just Sure Designs and Squarespace, <laughs> trying to broaden the menu a little bit. Um and then I'm also thinking about uh, – well, I'm beyond thinking about it. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm going to do another – sort of like a sub-podcast. It's – this podcast will continue. You'll you'll hear these interviews, these conversations uh, with interesting people I run across. But I'm going to do the um, 
podcast that's just me telling stories from my wild and crazy travel days. And I decided to do that as a separate thing. I'm going to charge for that, um, but this will remain free. So we're going to try different systems. Um, I think what I'm going to do is 99 cents per episode of that. And then if you pay 20 bucks, you get uh, the whole year uh, and I'll do two of them a month. So uh, that'll be, you know, obviously it'll be a much smaller audience than than the free one. But if you're in, into that stuff and you want to hear it, um, that's coming soon. I think I'm going to call it talking out my ass. Now, <laughs> that's got a certain ring to it. Uh, and they're going to be true stories, at least true as, as well as I can uh, remember them. And it's some crazy shit that happened to me, you know, going to prison, getting shot at, um, Overdosing on heroin, uh, almost, you know, smashing into an elephant on a motorcycle. Uh, that was me on the motorcycle, not the elephant. Uh, you know, just weird shit that happened when I was uh, wandering around the planet recklessly and sometimes stupidly. Uh, but I managed to survive it. So there you go. Anyway, listen, the Paleo Manifesto. Uh, I got to I gotta admit, I haven't read it. Uh, John's publisher sent me a copy. I, you know, it's on the stack of books that I, I need to read. It's, uh, I've got it in my hand right now. It's a beautiful, beautifully produced book, actually. Uh, I'll read a couple of the blurbs. Steven Pinker. Uh, if you read Sex at Dawn, you know that Steven Pinker and I have a bit of a disagreement about the um, levels of violence in prehistory. And in fact, I, uh, as you'll hear in this interview, I, I sort of, I've got a bit of a thing about Steven Pinker. I think he's brilliant, um, but I think he's kind of smug and uh, essentially dishonest about uh, his politics. But you can listen to the conversation and hear that. Anyway, John studied with Steven Pinker at Harvard and their friends. And Steven Pinker said that uh, in an age of material abundance and high technology, why are we failing to thrive? Why are so many of us fat, tired, achy, depressed? Starting with the insight that every species is well suited to its natural habitat, John Duran explores how we might alter our own habits and habitats in ways that allow us to flourish. The Paleo Manifesto is brimming with ideas and a fascinating read. Uh, Chris McDougall, who wrote Born to Run, which was one of my favorite books of the last few years, uh, he says, John Durant's goal is simple, to make everyone as strong as Tarzan. And to achieve it, he's ripping apart decades of dangerously misguided medical opinions in search of ancient human truths. He's not taking us back in time. He's using his own body as a testing ground in pursuit of a healthier future. Now, I got to be honest. One of the reasons I didn't read this book is that I thought John might be, I, I, how can I say this? I uh, assumed that John was probably a bit of a smug asshole himself. I mean, let's face it. The guy goes to Harvard, studies with Steven Pinker. <sighs> That's two strikes against him right there. But he's not. He's actually a really nice guy. I very much enjoyed meeting him, and I did feel a bit sheepish about my um, – inaccurate presumptions. So I guess that's two strikes against me, not him. Uh, so if you went to Harvard and you're friends with Steven Pinker, my apologies, you may still be a nice person. I, it's wrong. It's wrong of me to assume that to have assumed that you're not. Um, so anyway, <laughs> enough expiation from me. Uh, John Durant, very interesting cat. 
he's he's kind of a caveman himself. He's got the wild hair and the the you know the five finger shoes and and uh, but he's also a very sophisticated, uh, funny, light, smart, actually very good looking guy too. I don't know. Uh, we talk about his uh, his appearance on the Colbert Report, which was uh, really something to see. Check it out. I'm sure it's in the archives. Uh, it's good. It's good. A lot of people get flustered by Colbert, but John uh, John handled it splendidly. All right. That's enough for me. Hope you enjoy the podcast. And we'll be back uh, next week with another interesting edition of Tangentially Speaking. Thanks. All right, I am sitting here in the brand spanking new studio of Tucker Max in his penthouse apartment, which you'd expect, right? <laughs> who, who else, where else would a guy named Tucker Max live than a penthouse apartment? Uh, with the great John Durant, author of the Paleo Manifesto, and that, that's your first book, right? That's correct. I know you've done some articles, you've been on TV, you've, you've done a bunch of media around the book. The book came out officially September a few months ago? September 2013. About what's that? Six, yeah, about months? six months. Yeah, ago. yeah. Good, good. And how's the reaction been? It's been great. You know, th- there are a ton of paleo diet books out there now, and there's a little bit of exhaustion with that. But I, I wrote more of a, a narrative, a story, an adventure, um, and there's a lot of novel material in there, so it's getting a nice response. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And I, I first came across you. I don't know whether it was online on Twitter or something. Yeah, you emailed me and, and you sent me a copy of your book. Ah, uh, okay. But with, that was after your Colbert thing, right? Yeah. I was on Colbert in early 2010. I got to hand it to you. You know, I'm friends with you. I'm friends with Dan Savage and I'm friends with Andrew Sullivan, right? And the two of them have been on Colbert innumerable times. Um, but you really did a good job and that's got to be a tough place. Extremely hard interview. That was my first time on TV. <laughs> was, so how the fuck do you get yeah. on Colbert the first time you're on TV? So the uh, I, there was a New York Times style section piece in, in January 2010 mm. about the new age caveman in the city. And it was a right. group of you know, a paleo group that I had started. And I just got an email out of the blue. Um, wow. I figured you were like Colbert's buddies producers. with a producer or something. No. Really? Uh, one of the producers had read the article, thought it was hilarious, showed it to Colbert. Colbert said, oh, yeah, I saw that this week and we've got to have Caveman Guy on. Right. And, and that's what's so cool about him is that he'll, have, uh, he'll occasionally have no-name people oh, yeah. on there. Yeah. And uh, when I was actually put in the hot seat, <clears throat> I, a huge adrenaline rush. You know? It's a fight-or-flight response. And I wasn't going to flee. And so I, I actually imagined that I had gotten <laughs> into a fight with him and won. So I was like, I want to feel confident and relaxed. So wait, you're in the green room, like imagining kicking Colbert's ass? I actually out With on... your, your five-finger shoe. <laughs> yeah, yes. Break your toe, man. Exactly. <laughs> well, MMA's barefoot, so... Um... For people who haven't seen it, uh, John went on the show wearing those five-finger shoes, those, yeah. those monkey, monkey boots. Right before go. they were sort of about to... You know, yeah, take off. Yeah, yeah. Oh um, man. So anyway, then, so you're so in the, the green end room it, imagining a conflict. Well, I'm actually out on stage at that point. They put oh. me out on stage for two minutes to get used to the lights. I imagine a conflict that I win, and I lean into it, and I, and then you just get this testosterone buzz or euphoria or something after you know after some sort of conflict, and 
and people are like, you are so relaxed and confident. I was like, well, yeah, I imagined I kicked his ass. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So, so that sort of takes the whole imagine them in their underwear thing to a completely yeah. different place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're in their underwear, and I'm kicking their ass. <laughs> right. I've never tried that. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, it's it's you got to visualize success, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's true that that the people who are good on Colbert. I mean, I think for me, Dan Savage is the best I've ever seen in dealing with Colbert. Did you see the one where Colbert was say, said to him something like, uh, so wait a minute, are you and your, you're married, right? You're gay married. Are you and your gay husband uh, monogamous or not? And, and Dan said, well, it depends. If I'm at one end of a guy and my husband's at the other end, is that monogamy? <laughs> <laughs> you could just see Colbert like, boom, he basically yeah. fell out of his yeah. chair, you know? But he respects that when it comes back sure, at him. Because sure. normally he, it's but all it's one direction. But it's hard to do that. Cause, yeah, because so some sharp. people fall flat on their face when they try to get yeah. one past him. Well, I'm sure they tell you, don't try to be yes, funny, right? They, you wouldn't try to throw a football better than Peyton Manning, right? So don't try to out funny Colbert, right? But, but you can play catch with him, yes. If you're sharp, that's right, and you're smart, why not? You and know? so, so at the end of my appearance. He had me describe my ideal woman, and I said a lactose intolerant celiac. I remember that. Yeah. That's, that's right. I got that's emails great. from about 100 lactose intolerant. <laughs> With big tits. Intolerant celiacs. <laughs> Many of them sent photos. Two fathers <laughs> sent me contact information for their daughters. Oh, fathers. So it, was, it, was a nice, it was a very nice ego boost. What was actually very cool about it is that Almost every single one of them said, I viewed myself as defective and abnormal right. because I couldn't digest these foods. And I didn't really have a good sense for why. And when you explained that grains and dairy were relatively novel additions to the human diet over the last 10,000 years, suddenly it flipped the script. And I right. was the normal one in the long scheme of things. Yeah. So that – yes, it was a nice ego boost, but that that was really – uh, cool to hear from all of them. You know, I get the same sort of email about sexuality. Right. Right. A lot of women, like, I, I, I mean, I hope you get these emails. I don't know. I I was amazed that women wrote me saying I had to stop to masturbate every 10 pages. <laughs> Not what I expected. <laughs> yeah. Right? And it's because of what you said. It's because of a sense of liberation. Mm -hmm. like, I'm not fucked up. There's nothing wrong with me. Right. That I'm very sexual and you know masturbate a lot or whatever it is you right. know it's the society that's fucked up oh my god you know i'm actually a normal person that there's nothing more liberating than that yeah our yeah. the modern notion of normal is very odd and weird pathological i would say yeah yeah, yeah. We, i mean we look at sugar consumption as you know insane sugar consumption and drinking three coca-colas a day as normal yeah. well just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean it's species typical yeah doesn't mean it's yeah. it's it's uh you know good for you i should mention actually where we are aside from the fact that we're at tucker's place we are both attending a paleo conference which just ended you just gave your talk on disgust, which I was able to catch some of. It was Great. quite interesting. I had to run my friend to the airport, so I couldn't uh, couldn't hang out for the whole thing. How'd you feel? Was it? I I, I it was a blast. You had a big crowd. Was, by the yeah, way. good yeah. crowd. I checked in the other room, and you had like three times as many people. All right, and you can also people weren't leaving. That's mm. always I can I can always sense whether people are exiting the room or not, and and folks yeah, leaving, I mean, so in a, in a thing is in a conference like this where there are six things going on at the same time, yeah. I try, you know, personally, I don't 
use that as a gauge of success because right. people have to come and go and they've got their friends and they promise to do this and that. If I see if one person leave, you? I throw a fit. Really? So I'm sorry. I <laughs> and you started mentioning yeah. feces or whatever the hell. Well, was. yeah, disgust Disgust is, is an area that fascinates me, not just because it's really closely tied to food, what we put in our mouth, um, and I care a lot about food and diet, but morality and disgust and sex and disgust are so closely interwoven. Yeah. And, and you know, you've seen this where, you know, the, a, a lot of traditional conservative morality, there's just an instinctive disgust towards things and people yeah. say, oh, that's wrong. Um, well, you mentioned kimchi. When right. I was there, and you right. see, what you said was beautiful. You said, you know, uh, Korean kids don't like kimchi; they find it disgusting. But their parents tell them it's a very important food; it's the national dish of Korea. Blah blah blah, and they learn to like it. Right. And I thought of altar boys. <laughs> altar boys, just <laughs> altar boys. God role. wants you to love this, you right. know, like like something. <laughs> Sorry, it was a no, bad joke. Yeah, no, no. Bad joke. Uh, but you know, I, I did think of like all these things that are that are really fucking gross or disgusting right, or, or, right. or harmful on some level, uh, abusive, that we're told, no, that's that's normal. That's the national dish of Korea. That's what we do here. That's God wants this, right. you know? It, it's well, strange. And that's kind of the per- the best thing and the worst thing about humans is their yes. adaptability. Yes. Right. Well, and so here's this – is, this is an area that I have been looking forward to discussing with you because I oh, read boy. your book. Uh-huh. Um, and enjoyed it a lot. And, and what an area where I think it made an important contribution was realizing that um, we did have a lot of repressive sexual codes that um, we no longer have to live by. Yeah. Um, where 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 I would push back on you a little bit is around this notion of of disgust. So disgust evolves as pathogen as a a way to avoid pathogens. Right. So we get disgusted by corpses and blood and bodily fluids and rotting food and vermin and insects and things like that. Um, and, 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 and so disgust keeps things away from your mouth. Keep, you, people want to move away from it. Vomiting and gagging, if you had swallowed something, it's a way to expel it from the body. So it's this – and women, morning sickness, they get disgusted by things that could infect them like, like meat or animal products. Um, and uh, so it's this adaptive behavior. So after the, – during the Paleolithic, you actually don't have to worry about – infectious disease very much because you have a bunch of nomadic hunter-gatherers, 50 people in a tribe, polio or other other you know uh, infectious diseases can't get a foothold with so few people. Right. People start living in cities, infectious disease explodes, including STDs. Mm-hmm. And so in from my point of view and the research that I've done, I – I've been led to believe that some of the repressive sexual codes helped people avoid STDs before we understood that germs existed or how they were transmitted. Sure. Yeah, but that's no longer the case. Or it's it's not that it's no longer the case. It's that we now have antibiotics. We understand how germs spread. We understand the importance of safe safe sex, of condoms, of yeah. hygiene, of things like that. Um, but, um, you know, so I came across this interesting paper, series of papers, uh, noting that Jewish women throughout recorded history 
have had very low rates of cervical cancer. Cervical cancer is caused by HPV, 100%. There, as you pointed out during our prior conversation, there are strains of HPV that don't. Many, most strains of HPV don't cause cancer. Right. A few that do. So don't freak out if you are HPV positive. That doesn't mean you're going to get cervical cancer necessarily. Right. And cervical yeah. cancer is is treatable um, if if you you know if you get a Pap smear yeah. regularly. Um, and and most sexually active people have some strains of HPV. Um, but, uh, you know, basically, uh, Jewish women had, there was sort of a joke within Jewish culture that if a Jewish woman got cervical cancer, it was a sign that she had had sex with a Gentile. Oh boy. It was, it was to that degree. So the question was, why do Jewish women have low rates of cervical cancer? And there's not a completely definitive answer, but from the papers that I've read, it's a combination of... Lifelong monogamy, um, uh, circumcision, male circumcision, and potentially some hygienic practices, washing and, and stuff like that. And they're not getting throat cancer because we all know Jewish women don't give blowjobs. <laughs> oh, so wrong. No comment. No comment. I, I consider myself an honorary Jew. I'm allowed to, to say these sorts of things because I live for two years on uh, 47th Street between 5th and 6th. Uh-huh. And I actually lived and worked in the Diamond District. I think I'm the only, probably the only human who's ever lived on that block and certainly the only goy, yeah. right? And so everybody thought I was Jewish because yeah. I had red hair like Woody Allen. Everybody's like, oh, he must be Jewish. He's, you know, he's here all the time, that guy. So I sort of, you know, I hope my Jewish listeners forgive me for my occasional uh, lapses into Jewishness. Well, I look like a very famous Jew. Jesus. Jesus. Himself. Or how- or how people think he lo- Europeans think the he romanticized looked. movie version That's of right. Jesus, which yeah. I'll take it. I think take I think it. Jesus probably like had lots of moles on his face and you know like a droopy eye or something. You know, I'll, no, I'll bet he was. I'll bet he was good looking. Certainly charismatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have a lot of followers. I'm sure. You know. Yeah, fresh breath and all that. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Two thousand years. You read ago. about this recent thing where they they found a scroll or something that refers to his wife. Really? Just within the last few days, huh. and it's been verified that it's not a forgery. Yeah, there, no there's. I, I just saw it like yesterday or the day before. And you'll once you get back to the world, you'll yeah. you'll see it. Anyway, so so your point being that the this sort of uh, shame uh, and behavioral control within the society uh, is protective to members of that society to some extent. Yeah, because sure, because sure. definitely the repressive sexual codes. Were, were targeted towards women more than men. Um, no question about it. Um, women also bear more of the burdens of STDs than men do. They're more damaging mm. to female, the female reproductive system and to female health than they are to well, men. Well, and as you know, having studied evolution, men are superfluous. One man can impregnate hundreds of women That's right. and not vice versa. Sperm so. is cheap. Right. Eggs are expensive. Yeah, yeah. They're so. valuable. So you can lose the man. It doesn't really matter. Let, <laughs> right. let them go into high-risk activity. Yeah. With the, drink include, up. Yeah. Bottoms up. <laughs> which includes fucking livestock, by the way, which is another thing that happened with you know domestication of animals and all that. That's right. And, and we see a huge moral taboo around, around bestiality, and, and that's a great way to catch something nasty and have your dick fall off. Yeah. Um, so, so there is some aspect – of these repressive traditional, so if the repressive traditional codes, to the extent that they 
prevented women and men, but primarily women, from getting an incurable STD that very likely could have caused her to be infertile. Um, it it may have been reproductively Darwini- from a Darwinian perspective advantageous. That's not sure. to say it's sure. it, they were it was morally right mm-hmm. or anything like that. But there's some parts of Sub-Saharan Africa where 10 to 20 percent of women uh, become infertile due to untreated STDs. Right. And, the, and they actually used to refer to it as the sterile crescent in contrast to the fertile crescent. Huh. Um, yeah, well, in AIDS and talking right. about sub-Saharan Africa, where right. my wife is from, um, Mozambique is massive, South Africa. I don't remember the percentages, but they're like very 15, 20 percent of, of people are HIV positive. Right. It's really high. So, yeah. so, so well, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I, I mean, to me, I think that, uh, you know, because that came well into the agricultural phase, you know, I, I would see that as reinforcing structures that were already in place, right? Mm-hmm. Women were already considered property, right? you know? So that would just make it even more uh, crucial that, that their sexual activity be reserved only for reproduction with the approved male mate. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I wouldn't argue And, and so, I, yeah, I, I, I'd argue that, uh, you know, people focus on the pill as ushering in the sexual revolution penicillin antibiotics uh when mm. when when many stds became treatable and or curable um it reduced the cost to having sex um and and potentially catching something nasty um so so i worry i i very much worry about antibiotic resistant strains of oh. bacteria well you've seen antibiotic resistant gonorrhea yeah. right yeah yeah, like yeah it's it's on the move and that yeah. makes me very nervous because that that is the type of thing, if it were to spread more, where I, I think it could it could, I don't want to say uh, uh, turn back the sexual revolution, but it would definitely it would definitely uh, make sex into a dirty thing again. Well, it's interesting. What about alternative sexual practices? Right. What do you What do you mean? Well. Uh, I don't know if I really want to tell this whole story. Condense it. I lived in Spain for a long time, yes. and there are a lot of North African women in Spain, okay. and I've met a couple of them. And uh, one of them, uh, <laughs> this is funny, like if, if there weren't microphones in front of us, I would tell this story right, yeah, without yeah, a yeah. pause. And now I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> can I tell this part? Yeah. Uh, anyway, this this woman, a be- beautiful woman, I won't go into all the details, but she uh, eventually, essentially what she did was she told me she, she wanted me to teach her about sex, mm-hmm. right? She was a virgin. She was 22, 23, something like that. Beautiful Tunisian woman. Uh, so you do a diagram on the chalkboard. <laughs> yeah. Get out my whiteboard, <laughs> my Sharpie. Hey, yeah, there's Take my notes. Here's, here's my Sharpie. Uh, anyway, she, uh, so I, I was very hesitant to get involved in this situation because here's this you know Muslim North African woman living in Barcelona with her two older brothers. Oof. Oh yeah, yeah, good. Talk yeah. about you know like yeah. the praying mantis biting the head off the male. Yes, uh, while mating. So I, I was very hesitant, and but I but I admired her her pluck. You know, yes. like hey, you know, I'm a 23 year old hottie, and she had a boyfriend by the way, but her boyfriend was like not. It was her age, and he didn't really know what the fuck he was doing. So she's like, hey, I've got all this leverage. This guy seems to know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. 
I want him to teach me about sex. I want my first experience and my initiation to this world to be with somebody who knows what the fuck they're doing, which right. made perfect sense to yeah. me, right? Um, but I was scared, so I took it very slow. Yes. And over the two or three months of sort of, you know, approaching the flame like a trepidatious moth, I realized that when she said she was a virgin... She meant she'd never had vaginal intercourse, but she had done everything else you can think of. All right. 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 And was like the furthest thing from a virgin that, right. you know. So what I'm getting at is if there is, you know, antibiotic resistant gonorrhea, well, there's a lot of other stuff that can be done that doesn't transmit gonorrhea. Yes. Yes, but we've also, you know, we've seen with Michael Douglas and throat cancer and HPV that some of the alternative stuff, even if it's just oral sex, can have some consequences. But you always use a dental dam, right? (laughs) (laughs) Does anyone? I don't know anyone that has ever used a dental dam. I'm thinking like, is there a dental dam company where all the investors are like, fuck, I thought that was such a great idea. We've got to rebrand this. First off, they got to come up with a different name, Dental yeah. Dam. What a yeah. terrible, terrible name. It's a name. terrible name. What, what should we call it? The, the Pussy Curtain? <laughs> <laughs> what's the, how can we rebrand Dental Dams? Ladies yeah, like, and gentlemen, tw- what, tweet at sexy, us. Like the- Hashtag replace Dental Dam or something. <laughs> There's got to be a rebranding. I know the Gates Foundation was working on a condom that enhanced yeah. sexual experience which i think would be brilliant if, well if back in the day i was all about the sheepskin mm, you know or lambskin, lambskin. I, guess it was lambskin. I mean that would be very yeah. paleo i would you know yeah it's, like, oh, it's oh, like a little lambskin. bit of leather yeah, yeah. but uh, unfortunately i don't think they protect against aids yeah I, I don't know but you know back to dan savage one of the things i admire so much about him is that he's very he was very upfront about saying look the problem with AIDS is trans- transmission from male to female in terms of heterosexuals, not female to male. You almost never have the, the rates of male. transmission of female right. to male are minuscule. I mean, I think it was like you have a you have a fifty fifty chance of catching HIV from a woman having unprotected sex at like five hundred times, something like that. It, it's like pff, minuscule, right? So. Yeah, so maybe the uh, the lambskin's not such a bad thing. <laughs> well, it it, uh, it I, I've spent a lot of time recently researching microbes and microorganisms, and they're everywhere. They are they are pervasive, and there's no there's there's no uh, definitive victory over them. They yeah. are small. They evolve quickly. They have short generations. Yeah, and and so you need to. Like the best solution is to co-evolve with them, and to some extent. Well, and we are. I mean, we're talking about the gut microbiome gut, right, and all that. Right, right. I mean, Fermented we foods are and microorganisms. That's right. Right. I mean, we are. Each of us is a community of of individuals with different DNA. Yeah. I I know. I don't know if you and I talked about this the other day, but uh, people send us pictures of themselves naked reading our book. <laughs> Have you seen these? Did I send these? To I've you? seen a couple on Twitter. Oh, okay. Well. Those are just the recent ones. Go yeah. to the anyone who's interested. Go to uh, I think it's on chrisryanphd.com. If not, it's at sexadon.com. And there's a not safe for work photo section, and that's all these photos people sent us. And there's there's a series of a woman in New York City in the subway, completely bare ass naked, <laughs> in this New York subway, sitting on the 
floor, sitting Ugh. on the stairs. Ugh. She took this picture. She's sitting on the stairs. You know how it says, if you see something, say something? Yeah, yeah. She's sitting there naked. <laughs> She's got like a raincoat on and it's open. Her ass is on the uh, stairs, and the and she's in the cars and all that. Anyway, you know what she does for a she living? She needs a dental dam underneath. Yes, she does. Well, but she's a, a researcher in uh, microbiology. She's a postdoc, microbiology, PhD, and and what she said, I, I said to her, like, you what? You're the one no, who's yeah. And she was like, look, you don't you know you don't win, you don't fight them, right? But you don't commit suicide either. Well, maybe she thought that it would is, inoculate the New York her. City subway to be a probiotic, <laughs> a source of probiotics. It's like yogurt. Yeah, <laughs> we'll take the yogurt yeah. to Fifty Seventh yeah, Street. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll pass on that. All right. Well, I, f- I forgot what the hell we were talking. Well, about. so here, let me. I, I'm gonna. I want to. I want to challenge uh, challenge you and your listeners a little bit. I see. I'm gonna. Because, I'm gonna push because this is your way. This. You're imagining beating me up just like you did <laughs> Colbert. All right. I'm not as easy as Colbert though. <laughs> well, I as a sign of respect, I'll try to beat you up in reality. Oh, thank you, thank the, you. We'll get that on video later. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I have a chapter in my book on religion and infectious disease, mm. and I view many agricultural religions: Judaism, Zoroastrianism, uh, Islam, aspects of Christianity. To 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 some to some extent, being a cultural adaptation to infectious disease. In Judaism, things like hand washing, bathing, avoiding bodily fluids, some of the food rules, food inspection rules, and some of the traditional sexual codes. So imagine you lived 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. You don't know germs exist, but they're the number one cause of mortality, infectious diseases, and some people die really young. And it looks like they're being struck down by God because who else could be causing this? Because you don't know germs exist and people just drop dead and die. So people notice that some types of folks die more than others and they think they're being punished by God. Say a prostitute. You know, the prostitution, particularly back then without condoms, without screening, without all these other things, is a way to, you know, pick up, pick up STDs. So – Say that prostitutes die more often than the average woman. Well, so people back then think that that prostitutes are being punished by God and that prostitutes are, and sex workers are evil, right? Evil, sinful, hateful You know, people. Stay away from them. Don't let your daughters do this and all these other things. The reality is, in my opinion, they're – simply getting infected with things and dying more often than the average woman and people interpret it as being punished by God. They're not being punished by God, but they're catching stuff. And today we know that, but back then they didn't. So when I look at some, you know, when I look at, heaven forbid, Rick Santorum's, you know, sexual beliefs or things like that, I think some of those may have emerged to to get people away from pathogens and a lot of those views are obsolete today and we can we can abandon them and we can have a more scientific basis uh for for our moral views um but i think they probably emerged because some people were just dying more often and that got interpreted as being evil okay but what do you do about other high-risk occupations uh, that don't have any of that moral, uh, what's the word, appropriate stigma. stigma. Yeah, you know, like mariners, sailors. A lot of sailors died, right? Or but, but no, butchers. No, 
Butchers, good point. Yeah. yeah, soldiers, but there's another, you know, whole different yeah. function for that. Um, but but people who like sailors, butchers, uh, who are dying in much higher frequency than your average Joe, but nobody's saying, oh, that's because God doesn't love them. Well, because we evil. know why sailor people can see why sailors die because they drown, because they get killed, shot. Well, with but an they arrow. still think God whipped up the storm, right? Like you read Odyssey, the Odyssey. True. Yeah. True. So, I mean, God uh, was involved in, in everything. Ways, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if some take a, a land soldier, if 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 somebody dies in battle, you know, with the sword yeah. right through the heart. Well, that's like, what I'm saying. So, right. and also soldiers are celebrated because they're doing something that's supposedly beneficial for the society. Right. There are heroes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so like, let's remove that. I'm talking about like uh, traitors, you know, or. Whatever. I mean, there are a lot of other high-risk activities. Women dying in, in childbirth. Nobody said sure. that's because God didn't love her because she was evil. Well, in, in Jewish tradition, you isolate women during childbirth um, and, you, you, and, and even when they're menstruating. But people focus on that. They're like, oh, women are unclean because they're menstruating or during childbirth. But men were unclean too. Men were unclean too with any seminal omission. So it, it wasn't – it, it was like it was it was repressive towards both sexes in that sense. Why do you think that is from from your perspective in this disgust and all? Because jerking off, like you're right. not going to catch anything, and you're not going to contaminate anyone else by jerking off. Why? What's so, the problem? So there? this is my best guess. My best guess is um, the the heuristic that was adopted was avoid bodily fluids. And Just in general. In general. What and about open-mouth kissing? Was that happening in the, you know... I, I don't know. I don't imagine anyone... I don't know. Like the French, what we call French kissing, I guess that probably goes back to medieval times, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know about kissing. Because that's like the highest risk of all, right? You're more likely to catch something kissing someone than sucking their dick. Are you? Well, that's my rule of thumb. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say the mouth is the dirtiest, you know, has the most right. contaminants and the right. most bacteria yeah. and, you know, yada, yada, yada. So it's passed me some more of that wine because yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling like I better wash my mouth yeah, out yeah, with yeah. some Just to white sterilize wine. your mouth yeah, with a little exactly. alcohol. Use a little uh, white wine and yeah. you're fine. Um, so, so, so I think there could have been – you know, if if the people don't know germs exist, if the heuristic is avoid bodily fluids, and and things that bodily fluids come in contact with, um, a, an oversensitivity, a hypersensitivity to bodily fluids may have been irrational in individual cases, but overall made sense. Like, stay away from, don't drink blood, don't get in contact with blood. You know, that is the nature of. Uh, how can I say this? Large-scale societies. The rules in general make sense, but they don't apply to me. Mm -hmm. Fucking, you know, like speeding. If I can go 10% faster than the speed limit and I haven't had an accident in 20 years, I should get a special fucking license plate (laughs) that lets me do it. You know, it's like Nietzschean, you know. With technology, we can have personalized speed limits. Exactly. And some people, uh, they might not get a car at all. Well, (laughs) they shouldn't. Well, with technology, nobody will be driving, right? The Google cars and everybody, you know, that'll remove that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. 
that uh, I think in general, a lot of these things probably had a beneficial effect. But then we get to the next level, which is beneficial effect for whom? For whom? For the, the individual or for... I'm or Darwinian... See, because see, Darwinian... Yeah. The only thing Species Darwinian success flourishing. Yeah. cares about is reproduction. And I don't yeah. view reproduction as, as uh, inherently moral... Let's say, or sure. like an, an inherent good. It it is what it is. It's procreation. It's it just is. It's a biological fact. Like it. It's that's all it is. Um, it's neither good nor bad. So, what do you think? We've been at this conference the last few days, yeah. and there's been a lot of talk about how healthy hunter gatherers are compared to post agricultural people, uh, and. You know, a lot in Sex at Dawn, we made this big point about how we argue against the neo Hobbesian perspective, which your state of war, or, right? Stephen yeah. Pinker and you know the, his his arguments about that. Uh, Steve Pinker was my college thesis. Yeah, I, we'll throw that out. So. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who also it was on Colbert, but didn't do very well. And my he didn't get the joke. You know, it's like he was one of those guests who was like, what the fuck's going on here? I, I, I don't know. I must, I'm must. not sure I saw that one. No comment. I don't know. No comment. Um, anyway, we argue against this Neo-Hobbesian view that, yeah. that prehistory was this horrible dog-eat-dog, you know, nasty brutish in short. Um, but it's true that there were much higher rates of infant mortality and, and young children up to six or seven years of age, much higher rates of death. Um and the, the, the idea that people, the average lifespan was 35 years is a statistical anomaly that is, you know, applying all these infant deaths and then, you know, right. adding them if into the mix. you survived infancy, you're much more You're going to live into your 60s, yeah. 70s probably, right? Um, now, the one thing I didn't hear anyone talk about at this conference was the beneficial effects of infant mortality. Sick babies died. Now sick babies don't die. Right. So beneficial for whom? Is, Which is my point, yeah. right? Because we're talking about beneficial for whom about these rules and regulations right. and all this stuff. Certainly not beneficial for the people who are dying. <laughs> or their families. Right. Or, yeah, or exactly. But for the species in a greater Darwinian sense, uh, you ended up with healthier people. Like my wife who's from Africa. She always talks about how healthy everyone was in Africa. She spent seven years uh, working in the African bush. She saw a lot of unhealthy people, but in general, Africans are healthier. Why? Because the unhealthy ones die when they're young. So there's a, and it's this is obviously a very difficult thing to talk right. about or write about because you get into eugenics and you get into the Nazis right. and you get into all this kind of stuff. Right. But there is, in a Darwinian sense, there is an argument. As you know, Francis was Dalton, was, was Darwin's cousin. Uh, Galton. Galton, Galton, yeah. right. Who was the father of eugenics? And he invented correlation and uh, uh, yeah. maybe standard deviation. So he came up with a couple yeah, prominent an important concepts. person. Yeah. yeah. Um, but because of World War II and, and the, the demonization of anything the Nazis did except rocket science, interestingly, it's not something that can really be talked about. It, it first of all, uh, <clears throat> biological evolution doesn't tell me what is moral and what is not. Mm -hmm. um, it just tells me what is. You know, it's right. the is-ought sort of thing and the ought is. And yeah. people people make mistakes in both directions. Um, the, the second thing, though, is 
you know, the, I, eugenics is a very taboo subject when – but it, you, people usually refer to it when it's carried out by a government or on a large scale or by policy. Right. When Ever anybody chooses someone to mate with, they're basically saying, I like the traits that this person has and I am going to have offspring with them. So in a sense, in a decentralized way, people practice eugenics all the time. They say, you're the one that I want to have offspring with. Right. Um, what scares me about eugenics is when there's some central authority saying this yeah. must be the way and you know, Brahmins can't breed with Dalits and right. whatever, whatever. Um, at the same time, you look at some trends. But getting back, sorry to interrupt yeah, you, no, but getting, no. it gets back to your point about Jewish women and cervical cancer. Right. That was eugenics. Right. That's the selective breeding, selective choice can have very good health effects. Well, and, now, and you look you look at a lot of educated, yeah. intelligent women today, and they have fewer children right. than than women who don't. So what 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 cause you know what could that cause over the course of five ten generations? Yeah. Um, you know in. I'll go, I'll go out on a limb and say I think intelligent women should have lots of children um, because I, I – With think you. <laughs> I'd like to put out a personal advertisement to intelligent women. This episode yeah. brought to you by – Six foot four and – What's Colbert no. call his sperm banks? That he's got that – I don't know. Are, oh, yeah. He's got a, a whole – an on, a ongoing gag about his – Formula four hundred four, whatever it is, his sperm that he's yeah. Um, and so, so evolution ahead, yeah. continues. Yeah. Evolution never stops, and yeah. it continues whether we want it to or not. So, you know, there's there's a part of me that says I don't want the government or a corporation or any centralized authority making decisions about who reproduces with whom. But can we argue now from an evolutionary perspective? Can we argue that? For the first time possibly ever, our species is evolving in a way that makes us less adapted to our environment, less fit in a Darwinian sense. The less fit uh, – OK. So um, we may be uh, less physically fit or – we have certain values, OK? Um, and, and there may be more people today – it may be going in a direction that we don't think is good. However, the people who – Darwinian evolution is very tautological. Like the people who have more children in any given habitat by definition are more fit. Right, so if somebody just doesn't like to wear condoms, even if they're unhealthy, even if they're unhealthy, yeah. So that that introduces it's a, weird, a weird, yeah. It's there's weirdly a twist tautological. There. It's yeah. like, yeah, if 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 you're if if you decide to have seven kids just because you don't, you know, by by seven different people and you don't even meet them just because you don't like the feel of a condom, like you, in in a Darwin in a strict Darwinian sense, you are fit. In the modern world. Even if you die a month after giving birth. Correct. If those kids survive. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. that's why I don't take my values from a strict Darwinian notion. Right. Like I, I, I value intelligence and responsibility and uh, creativity and spirituality and all these good things. Um, and they don't always line up with strict Darwinian success. But don't you think that in – I'm trying to think of another yeah. species that has evolved toward uh, lack of health. 
obesity or right um slovenly you know it's like even sloths there must be some like the fittest right. healthiest sloths reproduce more well you know there there are plenty of species I'm not, by the way i'm not trying to drag you into a you know uh, something that's going to get you in trouble i've oh, just no, been no, no, thinking no. about this in the last couple of days the, the, there are plenty of species so take lifespan for example we view long life as beneficial and good Right, there are plenty of species that have evolution has moved them into a direction where they have shorter lifespans, shorter life histories. You know, mm. insects and vermin, they they and mice and things like that. They have very vermin, varmints, varmints, <laughs> moles, weevils. Yeah. We're in Texas. Hey, moles are heroes for some of these monogamy uh, pushers. Oh, right, right, right. Voles, not moles. Voles, the right. prairie vole, yeah. and the montane vole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so um, there are some species that ha- that it's fit and makes sense for them to have short reproductive life cycles and short lifespans. There are some like tortoises and elephants and certain types of trees and humans that have evolved towards long lifespans, right. and they're both fit in a Darwinian sense because they're reproducing because and they their, reproduce. their offspring survive. So, so yeah. if it were human, if humans were moving in a direction where it made sense to have shorter lifespans, you would probably say that's that's defective or that's a bad direction or something. Most people would view that. Well, I think we are. I I think that at this point we're confusing prolonged death with prolonged life. You know, I think if you look at our species, what's happening is that we have found – it's like basketball. You watch a basketball game on TV, the last two minutes take an hour. Right. You know, yes, and that's what we've done to life in America. Particularly, we're spending all this money in the last few. We're giving hip hip uh, replacements to ninety year old women. Like, what the fuck are we thinking? You know, it's again, and this gets back to like, should there be some centralized authority making these decisions? Death panels, or you know, whatever Sarah Palin would say. I, you know, I don't. Um, Sarah Palin's very fit, by the way, in she, a Darwinian sense. In a Darwinian sense, and. <laughs> Like she, like I think oh. it's great that she eats moose. Oh, John! And... John's got a thing. You should, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, you should have seen John's face just oh. change color when look, I mentioned look, Sarah look, Palin. Look. Wow! I eat paleo, and she eats moose. You eat too. Palin? What? What? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, pa- go paleo with Palin. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to admit, I, I was talking to Joe Rogan and, yeah. and Duncan, and we were talking about hate fucking. And both of them claimed they had never engaged in such a thing. And then we talked about, like, who who would you, if you, you know, you had to hate fuck somebody, who would it be? Sarah Palin's right at the top of my list. Um, I don't know. I don't know who it would be. It's it's someone who's really irritating yet sexy at the same time. <sighs> Megan Kelly, the Fox. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mentioned that. Yeah, one. I mean, for me, I'm, you know, I have sort of libertarianish beliefs. So, I, like, it's it's not strictly a right wing, left wing thing. Yeah. Um, so boy. maybe Rachel Maddow? I'm, She'd hate it too. Yeah. Which that would, no, the, that would be hate. And yeah, that would, <laughs> nobody would like that. Let's just be honest. She doesn't want it and I don't well, want it. Well, maybe you'd like so. bring her over to the other side. You know, you'd be the guy who, who makes Rachel straight. It would probably, it would probably be a very liberal. It would probably be a very oh, liberal like, woman. Oh, like, uh, you ever see Ali G when he interviews, uh, 
Who's the who's the big feminist, like major feminist intellectual? It would probably be somebody, a, fem, a, a very attractive feminist. Fuck, what's her name? I will resist making a joke. <laughs> like George Carlin said, you ever notice that, like, what did he say? Like, you ever notice that feminists are women you wouldn't want to fuck anyway? <laughs> no comments. George Carlin said that. No comments. Not me. Not me. Uh, I, my my reaction to that is I don't I don't like people who I think are re, re instinctively or reflexively anti male. Um, yeah. I am all for humanity. I'm all for for win win situations. We talked about this on our panel on yeah. masculinity. Yeah. Um, you know, but nobody Six straight white guys talk about masculinity. Yeah. Well, most people most people were white. <laughs> let's be honest at at, at a paleo at the conference. conference. Yeah. Um, yeah. And. You know, if if there were a panel, there was a panel on on women's health, and it was all women on it. I have no problem with that. Good point. Yeah, good point. Nobody in the audience would even think to say, "Oh, yeah, it's look at that, it's a bunch of women." Yeah. Yeah, look at the, the women men? talking about women's health. It's what like, the good? Fuck? Why? Great. Exactly. Wonderful. Like, what is going on in this fucking country uh, that that like it is considered discrimination to have male only zones? Right. Safe spaces. Yeah. <laughs> Like, what the fuck is going on? Why can't a bunch of dudes have a club or whatever? Right. They say it's because, well, you do business deals there and women are excluded from the business deals. Well, you know, if you do business deals at the fucking hair salon, I'm right. excluded from that. Right. So start so a fucking I, company. I, I want a plurality of organizations. I want female only. I want mixed sex. I Male only. Yeah. And let people choose. Exactly. Just let people choose what works for them. And they're right. going to be people who do a little, you know. Who dabble in a few different things? Yeah, um, we had a great conversation on our panel about the sort of the crisis of masculinity yeah. today, and um, it's it's an important issue. There was Esquire just had this piece, the drugging of the American boy, where upwards of twenty percent of boys by the time they reach high school have been diagnosed with ADHD. Most of them, two thirds, three quarters, on on basically methamphetamine. Speed, yeah, Ritalin, um, Ritalin, yeah, and because they don't want to sit still. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't situations where it would be appropriate to 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 yeah. have medication. Well, that's your kimchi thing, right? That's that's something a kid rebels against in Korea. Kimchi, what, sitting still, sitting still, listening yes. to boring old Correct. people drone on all day, and you you either convince them through indoctrination that no, no, this is good. Or if if indoctrination doesn't work, you drug them. Yeah, or you sl or or like the Catholic nuns used to do, you take a ruler and you just hit them on the right. wrist. Or with the anti-masturbation shit, you fucking sew oh, his God. foreskin together with you know metal threads. Who Kellogg? Kellogg. I will point out yeah. was a prominent vegetarian and got a fucking enema every morning from a good-looking male assistant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so and he's Closeted from, from Michigan. I'm from Michigan originally. Oh so, yeah, yeah Battle uh, Creek. Yeah, baby. I have I have I have uh, not great feelings towards uh, towards the origins of Kellogg and Graham Graham crackers. Right, same yeah, thing. The, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. The anti-masturbation foods that are now central in America. Shmores. <laughs> really? <laughs> Who would have ever thought that shmores were? Well, Graham crackers, right? Graham yeah. was a friend of Kellogg's, and he was part of that whole anti-masturbation. Uh -huh. paranoia yeah and the idea was that bland foods would help boys not masturbate because spicy foods excited the animal Passions, instincts yeah. yeah 
So that's what cornflakes and all this shit are so bland Oof. is to stop, you know, dampen down the passion for life. What a pathological yeah. society we live in yes. that actually says the best things are bad. Right. It's it's really strange. Yeah. It's it's disturbing. Very strange. It's very disturbing. Yeah. So. Wait, where were we? Ah, uh, fuck it. <laughs> Battle Creek, Michigan. Uh, what were we talking about? Right. I, I brought it back to the kimchi. It was right, the, right, oh, right. ADHD, so, right? So and ADHD. anti-male, and anti-male, yeah. 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 So, um, look, yes, learning your times tables, sitting still, for, you know, and being able to focus on something, those are traits that are good that will allow you to be successful in today's Society. No, in yesterday's society. In yesterday's, in an industrial, yeah. if you are a farmer in a net, the agricultural age, or in the uh, laborer in the industrial age, doing the same task over and over and over again, that's what you had to do. It enables it's, you to be a drone, right? Which is not success. It was back then for those. Well, areas. it was survival. Yeah. It was survival, yeah. and yeah. you know, and our education system comes from Prussia. And uh, uh, Otto von Bismarck wanted factory workers, right. and and he came up with a system to produce factory workers. Yeah. And we're not there now. It's more creative. It's more entrepreneurial. It's more risk taking. It's more tangential. Yeah. Do you know the? Did you like that little? I did. Thank yeah. you. That little shout out. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you know Andrew Carnegie? Like set up all these libraries all over the Northeast. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And the uh, he only required that one book. There's one book he said has to be in every branch of these libraries. Do you know what it was? The Bible on the origin of species. Really? Because Darwin fits right into the capitalist oligarchic yes. viewpoint. I'm filthy rich, and you're all starving to death because I am a superior being. Right. Right. He didn't really understand Darwin, obviously, because Darwin's not talking about being rich. He's talking about having more offspring. Right. But, yeah, it's interesting. Mitt, Mitt Romney is also reproductively successful. You look at the pictures yeah. of his extended family. He's got a lot of offspring. Yeah. And a Mor- lot of money. The, the Mormons will inherit the earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah. I am going to tell Tucker that we've gone like almost an hour now and you have not mentioned that you went to Harvard. That, that's hey! an accomplishment worthy of great praise. So you went to Harvard. What did you study at Harvard? What was My your... degree was in history, but I ended up studying evolutionary psychology and uh, Steve Pinker ended up being my, uh, my thesis advisor, undergraduate thesis advisor. And... Uh, yeah, I, I studied nineteenth century economic development and oh, in the uh, U.S. in the in the Atlantic economy, ah. uh, the development of capitalism, right. basically interesting stuff, as well as evolutionary psychology, and it, it was, you know, it was an interesting experience. the The history department hated my thesis. They hated the fact that what somebody, was your thesis about? It, it was about free trade and protectionism and how nineteenth century Atlantic. Cross-Atlantic economies. It, it, um, I used uh, – I talked about in-group and out-group psychology ah. and, and how when you have an interaction with a member of an in-group, it's often viewed as mutually beneficial, win-win situation. But if you interact with somebody outside your group, it's you're more likely to view it as zero-sum. I win, you lose, you lose – Interesting repercussions for globalization. Correct. Yeah. So when when people view commerce and exchange between two members of a family within the same town within Michigan, Michigan and Ohio, it's viewed it's often viewed as mutually beneficial or at least uncontroversial. 
because then, you're because the assumption is you're going to split the margin. You're going to split the profit. That's right. And right. and I view I, I say I'm better than I was yesterday, so right. it's good. Right. Um, whereas if if it's me, you know, somebody from Michigan trading with Canada or Mexico or China, suddenly I don't compare myself to how I was yesterday. I compare myself relative whether I'm more or less ahead of that Chinese person. So the frame shifts. Interesting. It becomes competitive. So so I just looked at how our evolutionary psychology influenced perceptions of trade. That's interesting. Yeah. Have you – like do you know Nassim Talib or have you we, – We've actually become friends because he eats ah. a paleo-ish yeah. uh, diet. Right. I don't know if you mentioned that or I just pulled that out of my ass. But he, he seems like someone who would resonate with that sort of mixing – an evolutionary psychology approach to modern economics. Yeah, I'm friends. I'm friends with him too. <laughs> he and Steve Pinker are in other. a public war. I with know each other. that's true. Yeah, it's you know I I watch some of these <laughs> public disputes between people, and you know, and and Pinker's criticized you, and you've criticized him. He hasn't criticized me as much direct. as I was hoping. Okay, yeah. I mean, I I fucking went straight at him in the book. There's a whole I don't know if you read, but there's a section called Professor Pinker Red in Tooth and Claw. I mean, I called him out by name, and I thought, that'll get him. I also quoted Stephen Colbert in the book, and I yeah. thought that would get me on the Colbert Report. Yeah. Fuck, that didn't work either. Yep. But, I mean, you know, Stephen Pinker had the famous dispute with Stephen Jay Gould right. in the New York Review of Books that went on and on and on, and then Gould died. And, uh, I mean, so much, what's the line? Uh, academic disputes are so intense because there's so little at stake. Right, right. right. The, and the, the, the fierce, uh, the... The fierce uh, something of small differences. Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. The, that's yeah. that's an important uh, – yeah. I, I noted that. Someone wrote yeah. about that recently. Um, uh, but a lot of these disputes are about selling books, right? Sure. You know, they're getting attention. You yeah. get, you're on the New York Times uh, – New York Review of Books. Fuck, I'll argue with yeah. anybody. I'll yeah. argue with my mother to get, yeah. get in there every I, week. I'll, I'll say this about Steve. Um He's a man who cares about ideas, and and I uh, he's sold so many books that he doesn't need to sell books. Yeah. Um, well, someone, uh, I think it was Peter Sagal uh, of NPR. You know, he he really enjoyed our book, and he wrote a very generous re- review of it. And he and I have become friends. And I think it was him who was at a conference that Stephen Pinker was at. And he said to Pinker, hey, what do you think about this sex at dawn? You know, they question some of your data on hunter-gatherer mortality rates. And Stephen Pinker said, oh, those are the bonobo people. And just sort of like, you know, dismissive wave. And that was the end of it. I I mean, look, what I – I think Stephen Pinker is very, very smart. And his work in linguistics, uh, which is his main thing, is fantastic. My problem with him is that in his evolutionary psychology stuff, I think he has a very clear political agenda that he's not upfront about. You know, relying on Keeley and, and all this you know, war in, in prehistory without acknowledging that there's a whole other literature that disputes this question of war in history and in his famous graph that he used in the blank slate and in his TED talk, right, he says, "Oh, here are these ten hunter-gatherer societies, and we use this as a baseline for how many males died in warfare." Nine of those societies are not hunter-gatherers, 
And they're not, I mean, the, the anthropologists who wrote the papers that Pinker himself is using say they're horticulturalists. And he sort of brushes that off in a way that I find invalidates the whole argument and is essentially dishonest because if you're a horticulturalist, you've got a garden, you've got pigs, you've got settlements. Right, you have property to defend. You have something worth fighting over. Right. Whereas immediate return hunter-gatherers don't have any of those things, and that's the essential argument from people who say, right. well... But, no, but, but there, there are things worth... Lots of species, lots of males and species fight over females. Um, yeah, but not in promiscuous breeding species, which ours is. So, and, and so certainly, th- this is not an. I'm not an expert in this area, so I, I'm I'm not going to take a strong stand one way or the other. Yeah. Um, what I what I will say is this: that there have been many people throughout history who have idealized the Paleolithic or life in sure. nature. Rousseau and, and, versus yeah. Hobbes. And, yeah. and if and if your point and not your, but if one's point of view is. We used to live in Eden and everything was good. I think it's very reasonable for a guy like Steve to come along and say, it wasn't Eden. We might have actually been healthier, taller, these things. Some things were better. Some things were worse. There was violence or at least in some periods, you know, fighting over women yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so so if w- – I sometimes view these debates as if he's a correction – to some academics or people saying life was perfect in the state of nature, I think that's a valid correction. Certainly, and and when people certainly and and sometimes people say everything is due to culture and you know blank slate the blank stuff. slate yeah and you know I I but do people really say that I think they used to today I don't they don't yeah. in so much but you know look I'm young but in seventies sixties and stuff like that I, I I'm pretty sure it was it was it was much more common yeah. to think that and and my point of view is which is the accepted point of view these days is it's a complicated interaction of nature and nurture sure um, and a lot of traits you know genes seem to explain about half. You know, somewhere between 25%. Yeah, and, and epigenetics you know, is so important and just seems to be starting out. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah. it's it's both. It's a bit of both. And I don't think saying both is an extreme position. I think it's a reasonable position. So that's, yeah. that's where I would sort of net the, out. The, the, the only response to that I would have is that I think it's – it's interesting that the there's the assumption that the sort of romantic Rousseauian view is idealistic and romantic, you know, as I said, romantic. Whereas I think the the view that we live in the best possible time, that's romantic. That's silly. That's in a sense more Rousseauian. Because by demonizing prehistory and we say, Oh, we're so lucky to be isn't it great that we're all alive now? It reminds me as a kid. You know, like being indoctrinated into America. Oh, America. We're number one. You know, we're the best. We defend freedom. And I'm in school and, you know, everyone's going off to Vietnam and like, oh, what are they doing? They're defending freedom. Really? Are we that lucky that of all the people who've ever lived, we happen to be in the best possible? Because this gets back to Darwin, right? Is social evolution, cultural evolution moving toward a higher point? Because that's the assumption there, that like we live in the most peaceful time. We live in the most happy time. We live in the time of most freedoms and right. everything's the right. best right, right, now because right. it's new as opposed to is history cyclical? Is well, history a sine wave, right? I compl- Look, 
I'm in the paleo world. I yeah, completely yeah, agree with you that the way that people, for example, eat today is not in any way optimal and it hasn't been an upward sweep of improvement. It's been largely a downward it, – it, well, it went – it went down and it's went yeah, up and went yeah, down. Whatever. Yeah. It's it's more complicated. <laughs> exactly. Up and down and sideways and yeah, you know, in inside and out, out and yeah, all yeah. all sorts of stuff like that. So my goal with this paleo stuff is to take the best of the old with the best of the new. Right. I you know, people are like, Oh, you wanna run around you wanna go back in nature, live in a cave, put on a loincloth, blah yeah. blah. I don't. I don't. I Do you like get this bullshit where people are like, "Oh, you want to go back? Like, why are you working on a computer, man?" <laughs> I know. You get that argument? <laughs> like, what a stupid fucking oh. argument! All right, look, we we got dinner reservations, yes. so I know we're we're tight. What's next for you? What I mean, you're a, you've got a BA and you wrote a fucking book. Yeah, that's a pretty major book. What the fuck are you doing? What, I, I'm are looking you going to like go I, to work for NASA? What's next? <laughs> um, I'm considering another book on masculinity. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not sure I want to dive immediately into another book project. Um, I'm exploring raising some capital to invest in companies in the health space. Um, I, I think that a lot of money spent on biotech, surgical instruments, medical technology is is wasted. It's an ineffective and expensive way of treating chronic health conditions and I'd like to invest and grow companies that are allowing people to lead healthier lives um, by prov- – by, by, by preventing the onset of these chronic health conditions. Oh, excellent! Yeah, excellent. And, and you have to build. I'm. I'm not. You got to. The nice thing about companies. But where's the money in that? Where's the money in prevention? Well, well, take a take a look at something like CrossFit. You know, CrossFit has upended the con- the traditional fitness industry. Um, they don't have fancy machines or anything like that, um, and it's been growing like gangbusters. And and and. It's it doesn't have to be for everybody, but a lot of people like it. And in that ecosystem, there have been a lot of companies that have grown very quickly that help people lead healthier lives. Same with, same in the yeah. yoga, uh, you yeah, know, like yeah. same in the yoga ecosystem. Yeah. There have been a lot of you know, look at something like Whole Foods and and stuff like that. So um, that's one idea. I've got an idea to uh, help uh, kids eat healthier meals. That's like a that's healthier food. That's a stealth idea that I can't tell you the marketing concept for yet. Um, I'd like to work on a device that uh, mimics natural sunlight so people can get UV um, in, even when they're indoors or working or something like that. Right, because tanning salons are bullshit. Tanning salons uh, have a high intensity of certain wavelengths that does not mimic natural sunlight. Right, and are carcinogenic. And, and are carcinogenic. Yeah. But I don't think artificial UV is inherently bad. Mm. UV is UV. And and if you can mimic Miami in springtime and do that for 30 minutes a day, I am all for that. Dude, I have never that. heard the word Miami in before. That is amazing. <laughs> I, at first I thought it was some like highly technical term and then I realized you're talking about Miami. Yeah, Miami. Miami in. That's amazing. Uh, Trademark it. We haven't even talked about Born to Run, which I know oh, you right. love and I love. Yeah. And I spent time with the Tarahumara in, you did. in the Branca del Cobre oh, shit. years ago. Yeah, amazing, amazing experience. But we've got di- dinner reservations. Yeah, we, we got to go. go. Thank you so much. That man. was a lot of fun. I wish we could do it much longer. I hope yeah. I hope you get on Rogan's podcast because you guys would have fun, although time. you'd be stoned. <laughs> you, you know he's going to get you stoned beforehand. Uh, where do people find you? 
Uh, my website is huntergatherer.com. I've done a terrible job of blogging recently. Uh, my book is The Paleo Manifesto. And if people are looking for a reasonable, uh, smart, sophisticated, and flexible way to be healthy, uh, read it. I don't care whether you eat the paleo diet or not or whether you use that term. Um, it's more about learning about what it means to be human and being healthy and making the world a better place. Excellent. So check it out. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. He said, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.